Hey, come on, Go Church family. How you feel today, everybody? Good? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I want you to look at the person right next to you and tell them to say, I'm glad I'm sitting next to you today because I need to borrow some money. Go ahead and tell them. Collect up. Get you some money. Let me look in the cameras in the back of the room. Say good morning to our West Side Atlanta campus, Montgomery County, Maryland campus. Everybody online, those of you in this room, our broadcast campus. God is doing a great work here at Go Church, and we give him all the glory. Whatever campus you're a part of today, whether in person or online, can we put our hands together and just love and bless our brothers and sisters in the Go Church family? Come on. A little bit louder, a little bit louder. Always give honor to the brave men and women, those that have served in the military, those of you active duty currently serving in the military, all of you amazing first responders. We'd love to just give you a moment of appreciation. If that's you at every campus, would you put your hand up? Military men, women, first responders. Now I want you to go just very loud, very appreciative, high honor right here. God bless you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep them up, thank you. God bless you, God bless you. Come on. So good. Hey, I wanna get right into the message, but I do wanna make one quick announcement and then we'll get right into the word together today. About 10 years ago, when God put in our heart to begin the ministry of Go Church, I'll actually tell you a little story about that later if the Lord reminds me, but he also put in my heart to launch a school of ministry and theology. And so how many of you know that when God plants a seed, sometimes it takes time and watering and favor to get there? So 10 years ago, God put this in my heart. And then on Tuesday night, August the 22nd, we are officially launching our Go You School of Ministry and Theology. Come on. It's really awesome. So you, if you're interested in knowing more about Go You, uh, the little tagline is this, Go You, it's a place for you. Come on, somebody, that's good. You can go online, mygochurch.com. And really what this is about is found in the description. It is a school for those that have a heart to pursue full-time or part-time vocational or bivocational ministry, you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart to work at a local church, to work in the mission field. Now, all of us are called into ministry. Wherever we work, whatever we do, that is our mission and ministry field. But some of you have a heart to pursue ministry. So this school would be for those individuals, but it's also for those that have a desire to grow deeper in their theology and their understanding of doctrine and the word of God. So we have partnered with three professors from Lee University, which is my alma mater. And right here at our broadcast campus, every Tuesday night for 15 weeks, uh, this particular course will be offered in the New Testament. You have an opportunity to get accreditation to Lee University uh, because of the workload and what you'll be learning. So go online, learn more about GoU, the School of Ministry and Theology. I've been so proud at the number of signups that we've already had. And I'm believing that more of you have a desire to get plugged in and grow deeper in your calling to ministry and your learning of theology. So can we thank God for this opportunity? I think it's tremendous. So be a part of it, okay? All right, and then today, week number eight or episode eight in our Binge the Bible series. This is season number two. Earlier this year, we did a Binge the Bible season one. This is Binge the Bible season two. And literally, we're just walking through the book of Acts. And so today we find ourselves about three fourths of the way through the book of Acts. There's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. 
And over the next couple of Sundays, we only have a couple more Sundays together, we'll finish the entire book of Acts. And uh, I think we're better because of it. And I'll tell you this and then I'll pray for you, but this has kind of been our, our working definition of what we're learning from the book of Acts. The book of Acts demonstrates what God can do in and through people and also through his church when we are fully committed to the Lord and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I told you last Sunday, this is a beautiful prayer to pray every day. I wanna be fully committed to you, Lord, and I wanna be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives me a greater power than I possess on my own. As a matter of fact, can we pray this real quick on the count of three, it's the highlighted yellow phrase. Here we go, one, two, three. Fully committed to the Lord and baptized in the Holy Spirit. All right, heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. I always like to take about 10 seconds to give you a chance to kind of concentrate your thoughts. And we've got just about 40 minutes together. And so I want you to ask, Lord, if, if I'm here and you're here, speak to my heart, change me from the inside out. I wanna be fully committed to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit's power and let me leave different than I came. 10 seconds, I'll pray for you. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Today, Father, my genuine, humble prayer, and I don't want anybody to think this is false humility. You know my heart, Lord, is that your word and the Holy Spirit would do the work. It's not me, it's not my stories or my intelligence or lack thereof, for sure. It's you. I want the cross of Jesus to go before me. I want you to be seen. I don't live by man's applause while everybody wants to be told, hey, good job. That's not my heart today. My heart is to lift you up. I wanna make you proud, Lord. You put in my heart years ago, the calling on my life is not to preach to impress people, but to preach to impact people. So give me that anointing today, Father, and I believe your word will come alive and you will speak to every person's heart if they open themselves up to receive what you would say and your word never returns void. So change us from the inside out and may we leave different than how we came. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all of the Go Church family said amen and amen. And now let's just love on King Jesus together. Come on, can we put our hands together? Come on, the best praise you've got. Come on, the highest praise right here. Woo! All right, in a, in a seat near you, there's a message note card. I really wanna encourage you to take some notes today. It's been a fun eight weeks in this Book of Acts, Binge the Bible series. And now we're really coming to, uh, you know, the, the pivotal moments in Paul's ministry where he's going to end up in Jerusalem. And today... If the Lord allows us, I'll, I'll take you through Paul's journey all the way to the city of Jerusalem, and then we'll stop in his entry to Jerusalem, and we'll pick it up what happens after that next week. I've told you, though, a couple of times that the book of Acts has an act one and an act two. So the front half of the book of Acts is all about Simon Peter and his ministry after he's baptized in the Holy Spirit with power, and then he goes on to preach a handful of 
critical sermons and messages as the New Testament church is birthed. And then when you get into the second half of the book of Acts, it's really all about Paul's ministry and the apostle Paul's missions trips that he takes. And so because we're three-fourths of the way through of the book of Acts, um, you know, this is what we'll look at now is really like the third missions trip that Paul is taking. Ultimately, I, I believe that there's four specific journeys that he takes, but right now in these chapters, he's on his third journey. And I thought in my preparation, I, I went to, to Google and pulled up a map. So I thought I'd share with you what Google says about Paul's journey. And they'll make this picture a little bit larger so that you can see. Again, this is just the third of four journeys that the apostle Paul takes. And of course, he starts, if you go far right in Antioch, and then his desire on this journey is to, if you follow the red line, and there's some arrows, because he's, it's like 285, he's going around, Spaghetti Junction and all that, but his desire is to ultimately to get to Jerusalem. And so today, we'll get into Acts 20 and then Acts 21, and some of the cities that we read about, you see on this map, but you know, it, it, there's Ephesus, we talked a lot about that last week, in Acts chapter 19, the revival that happened at Ephesus. I, mean, I preached for a long time. We didn't even get to talk about the rioting that happened in Ephesus because of the revival. But a revival happens in Ephesus and then he ends up in Greece for a few months. And then in Acts 20, he goes back to, to Troas, which is kind of a Northwest on this map in the corner of Asia there. Most of you know this story, but in Acts 20 at Troas, Paul is preaching and the story in the scripture says that he's preaching so long, he goes on and on and on until about midnight that Eutychus, who's a teenager, is sitting in a window and he falls out the window and he dies. I mean, that, could you imagine if in the middle of my preaching somebody died? I mean, that would be, but then Paul just runs downstairs, picks up Eutychus and Eutychus comes back to life. And the, the Bible says that when they, those that invited Eutychus to church, they were all comforted when they went home. Can you imagine inviting somebody to church and they die? And then God brings them back to life. That'd be an interesting car ride back home, wouldn't it? So that's at Troas. And then uh, eventually, you'll see if you go down the map, they get to, to Kos, C-O-S. Uh, that's where Costco was invented. I'm kidding. That's terrible. Don't ever repeat that joke. Then they get to Rhodes. At Rhodes, there's the uh, Colosseum of Rhodes. And interesting about this is our Statue of Liberty inside on a golden plaque of our Statue of Liberty, it says the new Colossae of Rhodes. So all these years ago, there's this massive uh, statue of a goddess of Rhodes. And so anyway, Paul gets to Rhodes, then he goes to uh, Patera, then he travels south of Cyprus. He gets into Tyre, Ptolemais, Caesarea, and eventually into Jerusalem. And so we'll, we'll follow this journey real quick all the way to Paul getting into Jerusalem. Now there's a couple verses in Acts 20 that I want you to highlight in your scripture and then I'll give you all of the 20 verses I'm gonna teach and preach from out of Acts 21 right now and then we'll unpack it. Let's start here, go through Acts 1 through 20 and then we'll unpack what I believe the Lord would wanna speak to us today. So Paul's making this journey. Keep that, that map in your mind, his third missions trip. He's going from city to city, preaching and proclaiming the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ talking about the way. It's what this is called, Christianity, the way. And he says this, and now I am compelled 
by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And I don't know what's gonna happen to me when I get there. As a matter of fact, the only thing that I know is this, in every single city that I've been to, the Holy Spirit is warning me that prison, hardships, storms, persecution, pain, and whatever other synonym we can use right here to fit and describe what the Holy Spirit is warning, Paul says, I do know that is facing me. And then I love verse 24, and, and this is, would be really great for all of us to adopt as we pursue the will of God. So he says, the Holy Spirit's compelling me to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what's gonna happen when I get there. What I do know is this, is every city I go to, the Holy Spirit warns me of prison and hardship, and that's gonna face me. And then he says this, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. And my only aim, my only aim, is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus Christ has given me. I think my emotion is just because I, I want that to be my, not just prayer or public statement, but just the banner over my life. Like my life is worth nothing to me and my only aim Let's read this together. Come on, on the count of three, the highlighted part of this verse, one, two, three, to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And then watch what he says in verse 25. Now, none of you that I've been preaching to about God's kingdom will ever see me again. Won't see any of you again. Skip to verse 36, and when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down and he prayed with them and, and they all wept as they embraced him and, and they, they kissed him and they, verse 30, 38, they grieved because what troubled them the most was that statement that they would never see his face again. And then, I, I don't know, this is just the image that I have, but they grab hands as one spiritual family, and they walk him to the ship. Verse one of Acts 21, I'll, again, I'll read all, verses, all 20 verses. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there, Patera, remember these on the map. We found a cargo ship crossing over to Phoenicia. It wasn't a Royal Caribbean all-inclusive cruise liner, guys. It's a cargo ship, uncomfortable. There was no planes, trains, and automobiles. He got on a cargo ship. They go to Phoenicia and they set sail to there. And after sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, come on, we sailed on to Syria and we landed at, at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and we stayed with them seven days. Through the spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way and all of them, including the wives and the children, accompanied us uh, out of the city and there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and, and they returned home. We continued on our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemaeus where we were greeted, where we greeted rather the brothers and the sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. 
He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet by the name of Agabus came from Judea. Coming over to us, Agabus took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet together with the belt and said, the Holy Spirit says, and this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When he heard this, when we had heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul, please don't go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, why are you weeping and, and breaking my heart? Watch this. I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, he gave up and said, they gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we're going to Jerusalem. There's, there's no changing Paul's mind. We're going to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us, brought us to the home of, of Mason, the Inasilent, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, who's the half-brother of Jesus and all of the elders who were present. And Paul greeted them and reported in detail all that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard this, they what? Praised God. And then dot, dot, dot. Because if you've ever watched any suspenseful movie, there comes a moment in that movie where the music changes. And you know, oh, it's about to be on. And so we'll pick this up here at the dot, 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 because that's when the music shifts. Can we just thank God for his word today, though? Come on, let's go. Now, I don't wanna pretend to be someone that, that I'm really not. And I also don't wanna criticize any other pastor or leader but I thought for about 45 seconds here, I would give you just a very like small glimpse of my preparation and study uh, to preach each Sunday. Early on in my ministry, before I had all of this gray hair, come on now, um, I would often find myself reading the word of God to get a sermon together. And so it was like plugging into a fire hydrant only to know that there was no you know, water in the hydrant. So the Holy Spirit really began to convict me to say, you don't need to be pre or, uh, reading the word to get a word for people. You need to read the word so that you can get your own word. So a lot of Sundays, what I share with you is simply out of my own personal devotion. Now, that does not mean that I don't study other curriculum and commentary and pastors and leaders. But I also want you to know that it's not like 10 o'clock on a Saturday night and I'm Googling something to share with you all. Now, Google is a great resource. Some of y'all passed college because of Google. Come on, be honest. Sure. <laughs> I got two, I'm like, well, say that. Um, so you, you leverage information and technology, but I try my very best just to share with you what the Lord is speaking to me. So today is simply that. As I read Acts 21 for my own personal life and spiritual growth and formation and maturity, I saw and heard the Holy Spirit ask me these four questions. So I'm just gonna present them to you. Everybody good? Okay, so here we go. The first question from Acts 21, and really even back into Acts 20, those verses that we read before we got into the 21st chapter is this. Who are you doing life with? Now, Kimberly and I, before we became lead pastors, 
for about 12 years, we were youth pastors, student pastors. And I, I feel like however you would define successful youth ministry, God's hand was really on our ministry. For seven and a half of those 12 years in full-time ministry, we served right here under my father-in-law and his leadership and his anointing. And uh, we were here for seven and a half years. And I think for about two of those years, he actually paid me. Come on, somebody. He kept telling me, Kimberly is your payment. And so I don't, we were here seven and a half years. Now, every Wednesday night, because we would meet consistently in the middle of the week, it didn't matter really what I was preaching on to those students. It always seemed to come back to this particular thought. Who are you doing life with? And so I, I would ask those students regularly these two like questions or thoughts. The first one was this, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Or who you surround yourself with matters. Now, I don't know why in, in, in kind of my naivety, I thought that as I matured in responsibility of pastoring, that you all would have this truth figured out and that you would be running with people that would be building you up and not tearing you down. But as I've grown in my own walk personally, in my faith journey and pastoring you know, adults and from, from, you know, from the cradle to the grave in a generational ministry, I've learned that these truths are as important and real for you in this season of life as they are for your pre-Ker, your elementary kid or grandkid, your middle schooler, your high schooler, or your, your child that just went to university. Who you surround yourself with matters. You know, I, I would say it like this as a student pastor, you show me your five closest friends, I'll tell you exactly where you'll be in five years. And that's still true today. Now this isn't on the TV screen, but write this down because right people will take you to the right places, but wrong people will take you to the wrong places. Can I get somebody to testify a little bit of the truth of what I'm trying to say? And in verse number one, we see, and really all throughout Paul's missions, trips, we see that he surrounds himself with individuals that are building him up, not tearing him down. And some of you, man, a lot of the reason that you feel kind of like you're in a rut or you've hit a wall is because you refuse to look at your entourage. You refuse to look at the relationships that you've let into your life and you don't see that they're destructive and potentially cancerous and dangerous. And I'm not saying to, you know, bow your shoulders and lift your head as if you're holier than thou, but we need people in our life that see in us what we can't see in ourselves, people that will cheerlead us and champion us, but also confront us when we're being idiots call us out to live higher than what we're living and to say what you're doing and who you're running with and what you're involved in is destructive to the true call of God that's on your life. I need a hundred people to help me preach that word right there. That truth is true in Montgomery County on the west side right here. You, you need to surround yourself with people that, that you, you wanna do life with and watch this and forgive me if this seems mean or Maybe I'm just getting older, I don't know, but I'm exhausted by people that are exhausting. I'm tired of being around negative people. Like, blah, 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 blah. 
well, you can yabba-dabba-do with somebody else. Like, I need people that believe in me, got my arms held up when I can't hold up my own arms, people that will pray for me when I can't pray for myself, people that will text me and call me and say, JC, come on, there's a, a, an anointing on your life, a plan for your life. So I wanna get surrounded with people that build me up and ultimately build up Christ. If that's you, can I hear a good amen right there? And so Paul said, what? Don't miss the first verse. He says, after we had torn ourselves away from them. This is Luke writing the book of Acts. And he gives such descriptive imagery. Do you have this type of friend? This type of spiritual family? That in order to get you from them, like you gotta be torn away from them? Like, man, I don't wanna leave you because when I'm around you, I'm better because of you. Iron sharpens iron. And, and Luke says, we had to tear ourselves away from them. We didn't wanna leave them. Well, look at verse number four, watch this. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. I'll come back and talk about verse four B that they didn't want Paul to go to Jerusalem, but here's the answer, because they didn't want him to die. So they loved him enough to say, don't, don't put yourself in danger. But I, the, really the key word here is this word sought, that they sought out other believers, that they were intentional about the relationships that they wanted to bring into their own life. And listen, I know that some of you are super extroverted. And so, I mean, you'll talk to a tree in the parking lot and ask them, hey, tree, how's your day? Others of you are incredibly introverted. And so it's hard for you to, to have conversation. And then you come to a church where the pastor's always like, turn to your neighbor and say, and you introverts are like, my God, if he asked me to turn to that neighbor one more flipping time. But the truth is this is, are you seeking out the spiritual family? One commentary that I read said that the only other place in scripture where this Greek word sought is found. So the word sought in Greek literally means to go find something that's of great value. So I'm gonna go find something of great value. Watch, it's a treasure. So they're saying, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go find friendships, other disciples, people in the body of Christ, the family of God, because that is actually very rare. The only other place in the Bible that this Greek salt is found is in Luke chapter two, when the angel comes announcing the birth of Jesus and the angel says to the shepherds, you know, and then the shepherds sought out to find him. That's good. So are you being intentional? Look at me, I'm not preaching down to anybody. I know the platform is a little higher. I'm not preaching down to you. I'm talking about me as well. Just coming to church and sitting in the same seat and just doing the Sunday thing and then leaving. Like that's a part of it, but that's not all of it. It's why we say that we gather together and we grow in Christ and we go make a difference because you need to be doing life together. Look at me right here, real quick. You don't have to go through this life alone. You can choose to do that, but you don't have to do that. So here's a quick plug and I'll give you the second of the four questions. But at the end of the month, we're gonna launch groups. Well, I don't have time or I really don't wanna go to some you know, random person's house and sit in a circle and sing Kumbaya. 
don't think we have any kumbaya singing groups, but we'll fix that if we do. But the purpose of this conversation is just to challenge you. Are you seeking out people to do life with so that they can build you up, encourage you, pray for you, celebrate you, laugh with you, mourn with you, etc.? Don't do life alone. And don't do life with the wrong people. Can I get an amen from somebody? If that spoke to anybody, can you say amen right there? Come on. That's about 23 of you. Any more than 23 or is that it? All right, just making sure. Some of you are like, well, I guess I do have to have some conversation. It's called a courageous conversation because you will always act like who you run with. The second question is this, is are you saying yes to God's will for your life or are you refusing to do what he's calling you to do? Now, no matter where you are in your faith journey on that spectrum, here is an absolute truth. Even if you don't believe it, it's still true. God created you on purpose and for purpose. God has a plan for your life. God has a perfect will for your life. Even if somebody told you you were an accident and you were unplanned, God does not do accidents. Even if man didn't know that you were going to be born, it didn't take God by surprise. While you were in your mother's womb, he knit you together and he created you fearfully and wonderfully he made you. So God has a will for your life. And listen to me, and nobody wants you to be in God's will any more than God. So God's not off in you know, the corner of heaven holding Joey's will in the palm of his hands with a maniacal laugh. He'll never discover it. That doesn't, what kind of God is that? God wants every single one of you to know exactly what his will is for your life. And then you have to choose. Am I going to say yes to God's will or am I going to refuse and say yes to my will? Now, really we'll unpack verse 12 of Acts 21, but I wanna show you verses eight, nine, 10, 11, and then 12 that will just give us some context on how to really understand this. So in verse number eight, I want you to see this. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and we stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist who was one of the seven. Now this isn't the first time that we're introduced to Philip. If you go all the way back to Acts chapter six, you see that Philip was elected as one of the seven deacons of the early church. So there was a problem with how they were distributing food in their benevolence program. And so they said, hey, it's not good for us to wait tables, the disciples, let us appoint seven men and put them over the benevolence ministry. Well, Philip was one of those seven. Are you with me? Then we also see in Acts chapter, chapter eight, where Philip then begins to evangelize the gospel. He comes across a, an Ethiopian eunuch and he begins to declare the truth of God's word. And that joker gives his heart to the Lord and he's radically saved. Then in Acts chapter eight, verse 40, we see that Philip resides in Caesarea where he must live until at least we pick up verse number eight in Acts 21. So that's who Philip is. He's an evangelist and he's one of the early deacons. But Philip has also got a beautiful family. He's got four unmarried daughters and all of them prophesy. Now I don't, sometimes I'm funny and sometimes my jokes are too beyond you for you to fully comprehend the value of those jokes. And I get that, but you'll get there with me. Much like my kids, they don't laugh at a lot of my dad jokes, but it is what it is. I don't mean to make a joke here, but it may come across that way. 
this morning when I was praying over this message and, and walking through the, the sermon, I got to this verse and I thought about all you single young fellas in the room. Like I'm sure dating is different nowadays than it was when all us old folk used to do it. You know, we didn't have, you know, Twitter or X. We literally had carrier pigeons to deliver our love letters. You know, but, but listen, if you're single, whether you're a young man or a young woman or an old man or an old woman and you're single, find you a Philip that's got some single children. Can I get an amen? Walk up in that house and be like, hey, I heard you had one, two, three, or four. Can I just take a look around and see? And, and just see what y'all got. And, and then watch this too. Like, and these weren't just typical, you know, teenage, high school, college girls talking about boys and school and OMG. These were women of God, like saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you know that? Because that's the only way that they were able to operate in the gift of prophecy, because you can only get the gift if you have a relationship with Jesus. So these ain't just some girls walking around like, hey, 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 hey. No, 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 no. Listen to me real quick. Don't you settle. Don't you settle. Ladies, look at me. I know it's about four ladies here, but ladies, you're looking for your man. Don't, don't you settle. Don't you settle for some, listen to me. Don't you settle for some loser wrapped up in tinfoil when God's got a knight in shining armor. Don't make me preach that. I got, I got too many guys on my staff unmarried. What's up with that? Bruce Steele, you don't have one more daughter? With all them girls, you ain't got one more. Anyway, thank you. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now you gotta track, because verse number 10 is like, what? Because let me go back, two verses here. Philip, an evangelist, one of the deacons, leaders of the New Testament church, he's got four daughters, all with the gift of prophecy, but God wants to get Paul a word and he sends another prophet. They're in Philip's house. They're there with him and his daughters. And yet God sends Agabus. Now I wish I could tell you like, here's the full reason why. I don't know, but I can tell you this. When God wants to get your attention, when God's got a word for you, God will use whoever, whenever, However, how many of you can testify to that truth? So God chooses Agabus. Now, Agabus isn't new to us either because Agabus in Acts chapter 11 is the one that prophesied that the entire Roman world uh, would be wrecked with a severe famine, and that happened. So now Agabus, with his credentials as a true prophet, comes and he's gonna deliver a message to the apostle Paul. And watch, we don't get all of the details just to highlight, but the first thing that he does when he gets there, he walks in and he's like, give me your belt. I'm not gonna take it off, you were worried about that. He takes Paul's belt and he ties his own hands and feet. So now Agabus has an illustrative sermon and he's using Paul's belt and this is what he says. The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, where's Paul going? In this way, they will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. How many of you would be like me and I would say, actually, that's not my belt. See, what had happened was I borrowed Luke's belt, forgot my, Luke, you dead. But are you willing to follow the will of God or to say, I'm gonna do things my own way? Now, again, I don't wanna take this out of context, but hang in there with me for a second. Is it possible 
that God used Agabus to test Paul's commitment to the will of God for his life. Now, don't get it twisted. God will never tempt anybody. It's the enemy who does the tempting, but it is always God who does the testing. Pastor JC, why does God test me? Because you can never advance to the next level until you pass a test. Come on, somebody. And I just wonder, is Agabus being used by the Holy Spirit to test Paul's commitment? Paul, I know that you say you're going to Jerusalem, but let me tell you this. This is what thus saith the Lord. When you get there, they will arrest you, they will put you on trial, and you will face persecution. Anybody ever been tested in your commitment to the Lord? I told you Kimberly and I used to youth pastor and seven and a half of those years were right here. I remember the night that the Lord woke me up and called us to move from student ministry to lead pastoring. Spoke to my heart, July of 2012, middle of the night, took me to Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, therefore go and make disciples. And I heard the Lord say, you're gonna plant a church, you're gonna call it Go Church. Do you know how long it took me the courage to tell my wife and then eventually talk to my father-in-law, who's not only family, but my pastor and boss, that, hey, this is what the Lord is doing? But as soon as I begin to have those conversations and declare, this is the perfect will of God for my life, and I talked to Kimberly, talked to my family, talked to Pastor Allen, and Dad, you probably remember this. I got a phone call, and this was the phone call. Is this Pastor J.C.? It is. This is so-and-so, the executive pastor at such-and-such such church. We're a 10,000-member church. Our, this pastor is nationally known on television and radio. And they said, hey, we heard about you and somebody passed your contact information along and we thought that you might be a good candidate to come and be our youth pastor. And I said, really? They, they, they said I was great? And this is what they said. They didn't say you were great. They said you were the best. Yeah, okay. I'm feeling this. And I said, well, you know, like, you're gonna laugh. I was like, what does it pay? You tell us how much you need. And then you tell us when you can start. I said, you know what, I'll tell you what. Um, I'm gonna go home and talk to Kimberly. I'm gonna call you back. So I got home, I set Kimberly down. I was like, you are not gonna believe what the Lord is doing so-and-so called from such-and-such such church. They want me to be the youth pastor because I'm the best. And they said I could make however much money we needed. And she's looking at me and she's nodding. And I said, we could do this for a couple of years. We could raise some more money. We could, this could change our life. And you know, we're, people are gonna know us. And then when we launch the church, I'll, I'll have my own brand. They'll know me. I'll write a book. They might even let me sing a song. And Kimberly looked at me and she said, well, what did they say when you told them no? And I said, don't you talk to me like that. I am the man of my house. And Kimberly's not here today. She had a minor surgery. She's doing really, really well. So because she's not here, I can say things that are not factually true. And said, don't you talk to me like that. What do you mean when I said no? And she said, JC, we know God's will for our life. You call them back and you tell them, no, we're not interested. And I said, look, okay, I wanna do that, but I got a busy day. Can you call them? <laughs> I called him back. I said, look, it's an honor. It's the highest honor. And with great humility, I gotta turn it down. And the guy was like, what are you, 
listen, nobody's ever turned us down. I said, I get that, but I'm gonna be a pastor and we'll plant Go Church. Are you willing to do God's will for your life or your own will? And watch this, and I'll show you this in verse 12 and then we'll move really quick. When they heard this, what did they just hear? When they heard this right here, this illustrative sermon, right? We and the people there pleaded with Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Now, let me show you a couple things from this really quickly. Is this good today? Everybody okay? Not one time in Paul's ministry did the Holy Spirit ever tell him, don't go to Jerusalem. Not one time. But repeatedly, the Holy Spirit warned him of what would happen when he got there. So again, Agabus being used by the Holy Spirit to test Paul, you know what you're walking into. Are you gonna do it? And then watch, watch right here. Then we, the people, tried to talk him out of it. Now, I don't, James, the half-brother of Jesus in, in his book says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So I don't wanna talk out of both sides of my mouth because just a moment ago, I said, you need friendships that will build you up and not tear you down. If you go back to verse number four and then you see it again reflected in verse 12, his friends are telling him don't go to Jerusalem because they don't want him to die. They just don't want him to die. But watch this, even Christians, God-loving, God-fearing Christians, they may give you good advice, but it doesn't mean it's God's advice. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And you've got some people in your life right now, they mean well and they want what's best for you because they love you, but they also don't want you to get hurt and they don't want you to struggle and they, they don't want you to have a storm and they don't want you to, to have painful moments and, and they, they want you to go the easy way. Like go the easy way. So watch this, because you need to know this. It's we the people tried to plead you not to go to Jerusalem, not the Holy Spirit. So that's something that you really need to settle in on is this, watch, that even sincere people can be sincerely wrong. Oh, you ain't writing that down and you need to write that down. Even people with good intentions, they can give you bad advice. So what is your decision? Because like Paul, you're at a crossroad. You know what's coming and the people that love you and those that you love, they don't want you to go. So what are you gonna do? And watch, and I'll move off this fast, but watch. Some of you are like, well, I haven't made my decision yet. Not making a decision is your decision. Partial obedience is still full disobedience. God's calling you to go all in, so what are you gonna do? Well, that's the third question. You gonna go the easy way? Or are you gonna do it God's way? That, that's the fork in the road. And I don't know why some people, they, they think that following Christ, the relationship with Christ means that it's gonna be easy. This isn't easy. It's not easy to deny the flesh and walk in the spirit. It's not easy to, to sacrifice our own plan and will for the plan and will of God. It's not easy. That's, that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we have power greater than our own power. There's nothing, there's nothing easy about this. Following Christ is a, is a sacrificial call. It's a take up your cross daily. It's a leave your mother and your father. It's a sell all of your possessions. So are you gonna do the easy thing or you gonna do the hard thing? And here, here's the thing. If you take the easy route, it actually becomes a lot harder than taking God's route, which actually becomes easier. <laughs> Can I get somebody to testify to that very confusing thought? 
So what are you gonna do? And this is where Paul was. And Paul answers, and this is what he says. Why are you weeping? You know, you're breaking my heart. You know I love you. And you know I don't wanna leave you. But I'm ready. I am ready. I'm ready not only to be bound, but I'm, I'm ready to die if it means being in God's perfect plan. And watch, and when they knew that they could not persuade him or that he couldn't be dissuaded, we gave up and said, and they admitted it, the Lord's will be done. Let me tell you this, very few people do I know that are intentional about running to a storm. Most of us run from the storm. Very few people I know are willing to go towards the pain because we want an easy life. We wanna have your cake and eat it too kind of life. But you think about people that have shaped the world and changed the world, individuals like the apostle Paul. Paul is saying this, he's like, hey, I know that I'm running towards suffering, but even in that suffering, God is still sovereign. And I'd rather suffer and be in the will of God than be you know, whatever, blessed in, by the ways of the world or successful in the ways of the world, but it not be God's plan for my life. And look at me, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because God has called me to this, to this. What has God called you to do that you're refusing to do because you want the easy way? Hey, start the business. If God's called you to do it, write the book, pursue the relationship. Whatever it is that God is calling you to do it, you will be miserable if you run the opposite way. You don't believe me? Ask Jonah. Go to Nineveh. Sure, I'll go to Tarshish. You idiot. They throw him overboard and he gets picked up by a big old well. Just be careful. When, well, let me say it to you like this. You can run, but you can't hide. Oswald Chambers, the Scottish evangelist and tremendous author said this, to choose suffering makes no sense at all. But to choose God's will in the midst of our suffering makes all the sense in the world. April 3rd, 1968, the late great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stood on a platform behind a pulpit and he preached that infamous sermon, I've been to the mountaintop. Here's what he said, which by the way, and I just hear my heart. If Dr. King were alive when Jesus was alive on the earth, because Jesus is alive, come on. But when Jesus was alive on the earth, if Dr. King were alive then, I believe that he would have been picked as one of Jesus' disciples. Genuinely, I do. Now, the only disqualification for Dr. King compared to the other disciples, he was far more bright and intelligent than those idiots. And I'm not calling them that. Over and over, Jesus calls them, you, you foolish people with little faith. Dr. King was brilliant, he was intelligent, and he changed the history of humanity because he didn't take the easy road. He didn't take the easy way. They threatened him, eventually they assassinated him, but he had been to the mountaintop. He says, like anybody, I, of course, would like to live a long life for longevity has its place. But I'm not too concerned about that now. 
I just wanna do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up on the mountain and I've looked over the mountain and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man for mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Oh, come on if we're gonna clap. Watch this. 24 hours later, April 4, 1968, he was assassinated. But because of his commitment not to take the easy way, let me preach this for 30 seconds, right here on this Sunday at Go Church at every campus, what used to be the, mo the most divided hour in America has now become a place of unity where red, yellow, black, white can come together. We can worship one true living God, lifting our hands, lifting our voice under the blood of Jesus because one man decided, I'm not gonna take the easy way. God's created this will for my life and more than longevity, more than fortune, more than fame, I wanna make a difference because God created me to make a difference. Come on and give them praise. Paul, Paul, I know I'm going into the storm of suffering, but great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. Dr. King, take my life from me. I'm not backing down. Would you say that? Whatever you will, I'm all in with you, Jesus. And then here's the last question. And to be honest, I'm not gonna preach it to you because I'm out of time and I want you to go. You got lunch planned, so. But here's the last question. Do you celebrate or complain more? Which category do you find yourself in? And here's the 30 seconds before I pray for you. Man, nobody wants to be around a Debbie Downer. And I am exhausted by negative Nancy. No offense, Nancy, but... I'm tired of grumpy Gus. I resolve to be a positive Paul. Paul gets to Jerusalem. Here we go. He gets to the city and he knows, all right, I know what the Holy Spirit has warned me and my time is coming. But before we get there, can I talk about what the Lord has done? Look what the Lord has done. And the Bible says that he reported in detail what God had done. Do you think the sermon that he preached at Torahs where Eutychus fell out of the window was long? The Greek suggests that this reporting in detail what God has done meant that Paul told them every single detail of his ministry. He celebrated the goodness of God. Here's the closing questions just to challenge you. What the Holy Spirit speak to your heart today and what's your next step? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on real quick, all around the room. Hallelujah, Jesus. Speak to us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your word, your word, your word. Challenge us today. Challenge us today, Lord. Come on, 30 seconds. Just ask, Lord, speak to my heart. What's my next step here? I wanna leave different than how I walked in. So I'm letting you speak to me, 30 seconds. I'll pray for you. Tis so sweet to trust you, Jesus. 
just to take you at your word, just to rest upon your promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed at all of our campuses. I'm gonna do the closing today this way. Someone here, you need to be in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you, you've just drifted. You've drifted. But today you have a chance to come home. Some of you, you've not drifted, you've been running. But the Holy Spirit is here right now, drawing you in. Be a part of the family of God. You don't have to face life and all of the difficulties of this life by yourself. Now, all of you have a next step and the Lord will work that out for you. But for those of you that you need a relationship with Jesus, recommitting or committing your life to Christ for the very first time, every campus, I'm gonna count to three and I just want you to put your hand up and leave it for a second. Nobody's looking but me, all right? You ready? One, two, three. Come on, hands up. Thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six. Anybody else? Seven, eight. Lord, for every hand that was lifted, you know the cry of their heart and their desire. Nine, thank you, sir. 10, thank you. You know their heart. I'd love if all of us would pray this prayer out loud. Dear Lord, I'm asking you to sit on the throne of my heart, to come into my life as both Lord and Savior. I admit that I've been running and I admit that I've been doing life on my own. But today, I confess my sin and commit my life to you, believing that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody can come to the Father but by you. So I'm asking you to make me a new person and not only receiving your grace and mercy and salvation, but then giving me a clear path to make an eternal difference. I want your will for my life, nothing more, nothing less. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Hey, for the 10 people that said yes to Jesus, come on, can we celebrate? Come on. Come on, you can clap better than that.